Hey everyone, it's definitely time for the latest episode of my A to Z of musicals. This week we're celebrating the letter L. So let's get right in with all things musical. An absolutely brilliant musical is Little Shop of Horrors. And this actually scored very high on my recent top 100 musicals poll on Twitter. And it's certainly a favourite of mine, partly because of the energy and the uh, fun within the production. The stage production is just so great to see, but also because of the amazing music from Alan Menken and lyrics by Howard Ashman. The show started off as an off-off Broadway production back in May 1982, and it's loosely based on the 1960 film. Um, music is kind of a mixture of uh, rock and roll and early Motown and doo-wop style from the 1960s, and the show did really well in this off-off Broadway production, so well that it moved nearer to Broadway to an off-Broadway production and ran for five years. It was actually directed by Howard Ashman and um, the show starred Lee Wilcoff as Seymour and the gorgeous and wonderful Ellen Green as Audrey. The show did eventually go to Broadway, but in that original 1982 production, it wasn't eligible for the Tony Awards because it was off-Broadway, although it did win the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Musical. Um, the show then went to the West End in October of 1983 at the Comedy Theatre, which is now the Harold Pinter Theatre, and this starred... Barry James as Seymour and again the wonderful Ellen Green reprised the role in the West End and interestingly when she left she was replaced by Claire Moore, the fabulous Claire Moore that I've talked about in earlier podcasts. Um, in the West End Little Shop of Horrors ran for 813 performances. The film came next before the show ever opened officially on Broadway. In 1986, there was a film adaptation of the stage musical, this time directed by the wonderful Frank Oz, who was famed for his performances originally as Miss Piggy in The Muppet Show. And um, the film starred Rick Moranis as Seymour, and I think he gave a brilliant performance, actually. He was very popular at the time for a number of other films that are working particularly with the Disney company. And uh, Ellen Green reprised her role yet again. And she obviously just loved this role. Years and years later, I went to the Dress Circle Benefit Gala in the West End to try and save the wonderful Dress Circle uh, Musical Theatre shop in the West End. And in this gala, Ellen Green actually performed uh, the song Suddenly Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors. And I, I couldn't believe that I was in the audience seeing this legend of Little Shop of Horrors singing. Uh, and interestingly, 
she started the song and went wrong with her words and so stopped very, very politely and, and respectfully and asked the musical director if she could start again because she wanted to get it right. And uh, she wasn't being a diva about it. She was just uh, wanting to, to do a perfect job and it was stunning. You could see the heartbreak in her performance of this song. I was so, so thrilled to be in the audience that day. Um, eventually, Little Shop of Horrors opened on Broadway and this was a much bigger production with Hunter Foster as Seymour, who was nominated for a Tony Award for his performance, and Carrie Butler as Audrey. Um, I saw this show on Broadway, this production, but quite late in its run with Joey Fatoni. Um, as Seymour and there is a really great Broadway cast recording but one of the things about this show is it serves better in a more intimate venue and so whilst that was a, a good show and I enjoyed it I've enjoyed smaller productions far more. I saw the Many A Chocolate Factory production when it transferred to the West End in 2007, this time at the Duke of York's Theatre with Sheridan Smith as Audrey and Barry James, who had been the original Seymour in the West End, now playing the part of Mr Mushnick, Paul Keating as Seymour. Just uh, before the world went into lockdown because of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, a smaller revival had opened off-Broadway, this time in September 2019, with Jonathan Groff and Tammy Blanchard and Christopher, Christian Borrell. And unfortunately, the show closed due to the pandemic. The is already discussion underway about a remake of the film and this time it's planned by Warner Brothers and Billy Porter has been cast as the voice of Audrey 2. So Little Shop of Horrors for me an absolutely brilliant show I really wanted to include this in my letter L of the A to Z of musicals. Now, my next pairing of two letter L musical creative legends are Alan J. Lerner, the incredible lyricist and librettist, and composer Frederick Lowe, uh, known to his friends as Fritz. And these two met way back in August of 1942, apparently by chance when they were in a club in New York. And through conversations realised that they were both kind of uh, destined, if you like, to work together as um, composer and lyricist. And that's what they did. And they did a few productions that didn't do well, Life of the Party and What's Up and a show called The Day Before Spring. Um, but it wasn't until March of 1947 with the opening on Broadway of Brigadoon that their success became evident and this is a really beautiful show it's set in the magical 
uh, and fictional Scottish village of Brigadoon and is a love story and uh, between Tommy Albright and Fiona and in the Broadway production which ran for 581 performances we had David Brooks as Tommy Albright and Marion Bell as Fiona and in actual fact the raven-haired beauty Marion Bell did marry Alan J. Lerner and became his second of eight wives. This show um, actually has some gorgeous songs in it, almost like Being in Love and Heather on the Hill. And the show was choreographed by Agnes DeMille, who won a Tony for the choreography. Um, interestingly, also in the cast was Pamela Britton, who had been Celeste Holmes' understudy in the original cast of Oklahoma. The, uh, the show went to London, the West End, in 1949, with 685 performances. And in the cast was an actress called Noel Gordon, who many British um, TV watchers of the 1960s and 70s will remember her from a TV show, a soap called Crossroads, and she played Meg Richardson. Um, there have been lots and lots of revivals over the years. There was a 1966 TV version of Brigadoon as well with Robert Goulet and Peter Falk. And the most recent version was the staged concert version in 2017, this time starring the wonderful Stephanie J. Block and Patrick Wilson and one of my absolute favourites, Kelly O'Hara. And I've talked about this before, how it's just sublime to listen to. I was meant to be attending a production of Brigadoon just before the first lockdown at the Barn Theatre in Sirencester in the UK. And this would have been my first time ever seeing the show on stage. Of course, I have seen the 1954 film with Gene Kelly and Sid Charisse and Van Johnson. And I did talk about this a little bit when I was talking about Gene Kelly in the Letter K episode. Um, I really can't wait to see a production of this show and I certainly am looking forward to going to the Barn Theatre at some point in the future. So Lerner and Lowe had their first real big success with Brigadoon and that continued. In 1951, their show Paint Your Wagon opened on Broadway, this time with 289 performances and... This show was set in the Gold Rush era in California and it starred the vaudeville star James Barton as Ben Rumson. The story is really about a father and daughter living in this Gold Rush era and in the 1953 West End production, real-life father and daughter Bobby and Sally Ann Howes played these two roles. The show had a film adaptation in 1969 starring Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin and Gene Seberg. And I do talk a little bit about this under the letter E for Eastwood. The film was made with some new songs by Alan J. Lerner, but Frederick Lowe wasn't really interested in 
working on this film. So Andre Previn worked with Lerner on the new songs. But the biggest success, I suppose, for Lerner and Lowe came in 1956 when the show My Fair Lady finally opened on Broadway on the 15th of March, 1956. Now, this show had taken a long time to be developed. It had not been plain sailing. And in fact, Lerner and Lowe were not the first to try and adapt this story. Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II had worked on this for about a year before they abandoned the idea. Um, the show was based on the 1913 play Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw and also to some extent based on the 1938 film version of Pygmalion as well. The show was directed by Moss Hart and when it opened on Broadway it starred the wonderful Julie Andrews, Rex Harrison and Stanley Holloway. This show was a huge success and it did transfer to the West End in April of 1956 again with Julie Andrews returning home to England and Rex Harrison. It opened at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane which actually it is a really wonderful place for it to have been performed since it's right in the heart of Covent Garden where the opening scenes of the story start. Performances on Broadway of this show, there were a staggering 2,717 and in the West End 2,281 performances. That's just amazing, isn't it? When Julie Andrews left the uh, show on Broadway to go to England, uh, she was replaced by Sally Ann Howes, who had, we just mentioned, had starred in Lerner and Lowe's Paint Your Wagon in the West End as well. The 1956 original Broadway production of My Fair Lady was nominated for 10 Tony Awards that year and actually won six, including best musical and for their wonderful performances both Rex Harrison and Julie Andrews won awards. Alongside them was the British costume designer Cecil Beaton and he won for those beautiful stunning costumes that show um, Eliza's transition throughout the story. And actually, Cecil Beaton went on to work on the 1964 film adaptation of My Fair Lady as well and won an Academy Award for his work on the film. Uh, also, Cecil Beaton won in 1958 an Academy Award for his work on the Lerner and Lowe musical film of Gigi, which incidentally won an unprecedented nine Academy Awards that year. So, the 1964 film of My Fair Lady. It's so beautiful and gorgeous. Directed by George Cukor, who'd actually uh, directed Judy Garland in 1954 in A Star Is Born. Uh, Rex Harrison, interestingly, sang live on set, 
not like everybody else in musical films at that time who lip-synced to their pre-recorded um, musical uh, recordings, he sang live and he actually said, I've never sung this song the same way twice. Imagine that after all those performances. Audrey Hepburn was famously cast as Eliza Doolittle and um, Julie Andrews was disappointed. In fact, I found in her, the second instalment of Julie Andrews' memoirs, Homework, she tells how she drove past the Warner Brothers studios after she'd finished filming for Mary Poppins and they'd commenced shooting with Audrey Hepburn. And I'll just quote from her book. Though I totally understand why Audrey had been chosen for the role, I'd never made a movie and was a relative unknown compared to her worldwide fame, I felt sad that I would never have the chance to put my version of Eliza on film. And so we hear then that later when Julie Andrews was accepting a Golden Globe Award for Mary Poppins, she famously and facetiously thanked Jack Warner, head of Warner Brothers, who'd cast Audrey Hepburn as Eliza, saying, quote, My thanks to a man who made a wonderful movie and made all this possible in the first place, Mr Jack Warner. Uh, so she did get a little dig in there, didn't she? Um, interestingly, again, Julie Andrews won an Academy Award for her performance as Mary Poppins, whilst Audrey Hepburn wasn't nominated at all for her performance in My Fair Lady. Uh, famously again, Audrey Hepburn was dubbed by the soprano ghost singer Marnie Nixon. And Marnie Nixon sang most of Audrey's songs, uh, although we are able now to listen to those original recordings from Audrey Hepburn. And uh, I think she did a decent job, really. Also dubbed in that film was Jeremy Brett, who played Freddie Einsford Hill. He was dubbed by the actor Bill Shirley, who was famous for his performance as Prince Philip in the Disney film Sleeping Beauty just a few years later. Now, my lovely friend Nancy, her favourite musical ever is Lerner and Lowe's Camelot. And this show was based on the T.H. White novel, The Once and Future King, about King Arthur. And the team of Lerner and Lowe with Moss Hart directing again, started work on putting together this show. And actually, Fritz Lowe had said to Lerner after My Fair Lady that he was ready to retire, really, but he was convinced to continue working on this show. By the time the show opened its first preview in Toronto, it actually lasted for four and a half hours. And imagine being in the audience for that evening. And they were constantly having to make cuts and changes. And Julie Andrews um, was allegedly given the song Before I Gaze at You Again, only two days before the first New York preview. Um, 
sadly, Moss Hart suffered a heart attack during this period and Alan J. Lerner took over as temporary director, causing further tensions really on the stage. And uh, Richard Burton apparently did a wonderful job at the time of trying to help the cast to all work together and stay together. The show opened on the 3rd of December 1960 with Richard Burton as Arthur, Julie Andrews again working with Lerner and Lowe as Guinevere, Roddy McDowell and Robert Goulet in his first Broadway role, this time as Lancelot. And the show, in spite of mixed reviews, actually won four Tony Awards. Now, I haven't seen a professional production of Camelot. I've seen the 1967 film with Richard Harris as Arthur and Vanessa Redgrave as Guinevere. I absolutely hated it, I'm sorry. And I know Nancy and I have a completely different opinion on this, but I'm really keen to see a great stage production. So fingers crossed that that won't be too long coming. A musical from recent times that I absolutely love is Howard Goodall's Love Story. This is an absolutely gorgeous score and it was um, based on the 1970 novel by Arik Segal and the subsequent 1970 film as well actually, Love Story. And it's a romantic drama, a tragic story really. And uh, it's a love story of Jenny and Oliver. The musical is in one act and it premiered in May 2010 in Chichester at the Minerva Theatre. And the cast there were the gorgeous Emma Williams and Michael Xavier and Peter Polycarpo. And the show actually was a success and transferred to the West End, the Duchess Theatre, in December 2010. It ran just for a limited run, really, of 10 weeks, but it was such a success that it actually was nominated for three Olivier Awards and has a, a beautiful original London cast recording. And I thoroughly enjoy playing this music over and listening to it and it it's just stunning i was very lucky in 2014 to see a production at the bolton octagon uh, my hometown and there was a production directed by elizabeth newman with two of my favorite uh, west end stars at the moment daniel boys as oliver and Lauren Samuels as Jenny. And this production received rave reviews. It really was gorgeous. Before the first lockdown in 2020, um, it had been announced that there would be a 10th anniversary concert with the original cast at the Cadogan Hall venue um, in London and I was very excited and bought a ticket for this. I've never actually been to Condogan Hall yet and sadly the production was delayed and postponed and rescheduled and then rescheduled again and at the moment 
there's no clear um, indication as to whether this will still go ahead. I hope it does because I didn't see the original production um, and I would love to see Emma and Michael and Peter. Anyway, there you go. Love story. Gorgeous. Oh, I'm so pleased to be able to talk about my first living legend today with the letter L, Dame Angela Lansbury. And at time of recording this podcast, she is 95 years old, born on the 16th of October 1925, uh, not just a national treasure, uh, an international treasure, and a mega star performer of stage, screen, television, even nightclubs at the age of 16, singing Noel Coward songs. Um, when her family moved to the USA. She was born in England and round about the age of 15 or so, her family moved to the US because um, London was uh, going through the Blitz and it was a very difficult time. And she moved with her family or some of her family, including her mum, Moyna McGill, who was actually... Uh, a West End stage and film actress as well. Uh, and she moved to America. And at a young age, she started starring in films. But my first encounters with Angela Lansbury would probably have been 1971, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, where she starred as Apprentice Witch Eglantine Price. And I do talk about this actually in more detail in letter B episodes. So if you're interested in a bit more Bedknobs and Broomsticks information, go back and, and check that episode out. I was probably about nine or ten years old when I saw that film for the first time and fell in love with Angela Lansbury. And uh, round about the same time, I would have been watching on the television some of the old classic films, watching probably with my mum because she was the one who got me most interested in all those classic Hollywood films and all the brilliant musical films that were out. And we watched National Velvet, the 1944 film that uh, Angela Lansbury starred in with Elizabeth Taylor, actually. And The Harvey Girls, the 1946 MGM musical that starred Judy Garland, um, this was Angela Lansbury's first musical role, playing the saloon singer M, and music was written by Harry Warren, lyrics by Johnny Mercer, and uh, actually her character had two songs, Wait and See and Oh You Kid, and uh, it's ironic really that she was dubbed in this film by Virginia Reese. I mean, how how crazy that... Somebody that goes on to be um, a multi-Tony Award-winning musical theatre performer uh, is dubbed in her first singing role on screen. But, you know, there you go. Um, so Angela Lansbury, yeah, I remember watching all those old films. Um, the Picture of Dorian Gray in 1945. And she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress Academy Award. And she was actually in Gaslight as well in 1944 uh, when she played the Cockney maid Nancy Oliver. And she was only 17 in that film. 
Uh, and because of the success of that and her, obviously her Oscar nomination, she was signed to MGM for seven years. Um, interestingly, it, she didn't win for The Picture of Dorian Gray in 1945 and Revere won for her performance in National Velvet as Angela Lansbury and Elizabeth Taylor's mother. And I only watched that film again recently, actually, and it was absolutely brilliant. Her performance, and Revere's performance as the mother, is really beautiful. So I can see why she was nominated for that role. And Angela Lansbury, again, I watched some of those old MGM films, The, um, the Three Musketeers, which was a, uh, brilliant with Gene Kelly, and Till the Clouds Roll By, which is the biopic of Jerome Kern. And Angela Lansbury did sing this time a song called How Do You Like to Spoon With Me? Angela Lansbury's stage musical career started in April of 1964 when Anyone Can Whistle opened on Broadway. This was uh, Stephen Sondheim's fourth musical, If You Count. Uh, West Side Story and Gypsy. It was his second uh, writing both music and lyrics and it was his third collaboration actually with Arthur Lawrence who also wrote the book for Anyone Can Whistle. Audiences really did not like it. It was, um, it got terrible reviews and it ran for only 12 previews and nine performances it was the story of a town that was searching for a miracle and the crooked mayoress, Cora Hoover Hooper, was played by Angela Lansbury. Uh, this show did get a cast recording with Lee Remick and Harry Guardino, along with, of course, Angela Lansbury, but it was not a success at all. And in fact... In 1995, there was a one-off, uh, one-night-only concert version at the Carnegie Hall in New York with Angela Lansbury this time narrating, uh, joined by the fabulous Bernadette Peters and Madeleine Kahn and Scott Bakula. And actually, there is a CD recording of that concert as well. Um... The show actually did have a complete recording made back in July 1997 with Julia McKenzie, Maria Friedman and John Barrowman, but it wasn't released until 23 years later, just last year in 2020, when J Records released this complete recording. So definitely worth listening to. Now, in 1966, of course, Angela Lansbury won her first Tony Award for starring as Mame Dennis in the new Broadway production of Mame. And she starred as this glamorous woman uh, based on the 1955 novel by Patrick Dennis, which then was a 1956 Broadway play and a 1958 film based on Auntie Mame, the novel. 
uh, all about this wonderful character of Mame Dennis. And in the film, in 1958, she was played by Rosalind Russell. In the 1966 stage show, she was played by Angela Lansbury, along with um, B. Arthur as her bosom buddy. And uh, it was such a brilliant show. The musical was almost called My Best Girl, which is actually a song reference in the show. And uh, Angela Lansbury actively sought out this role and you can see that it was made for her. It was a Jerry Herman adaptation of the stage play. Uh, he wrote music and lyrics and of course it's got some fantastic songs. The recording, the original Broadway cast recording is one of my favourites. I play it all the time. And um, she did not, however, get cast as Mame Dennis in the later 1974 film version. The part went to Lucille Ball, who it was deemed was more well-known and more popular, had a pop more popular appeal. Uh, what a mistake, because actually it was a box office failure. And uh, imagine if Angela Lansbury had had the film part. Wow. Uh, the show won three out of eight Tony nominations, including herself, B. Arthur and Frankie Michaels for Best Featured Actor. Uh, and this was just a, a role that she loved. And actually, she went on tour a number of times in 72 and, and 82 and then did the Broadway revival in 1983. In 1969, Angela Lansbury won her second Tony Award for originating the role of Countess Aurelia in Dear World, Jerry Herman's musical. The show only ran for 132 performances, although it did have a, a really lovely cast recording. And uh, it was based on The Mad Woman of Shio. I actually talk about this in more at more length in the letter D episode so if you want more information on that please go back and have a listen. In 1971 Angela Lansbury starred in the controversial musical Pretty Bell. Now I have to hold my hands up and tell you that until only a month ago I'd never even heard of this show. I don't know why I hadn't. It had just kind of passed me by and there is a cast recording where Angela sings a lot on this uh, album, actually. But the show was a complete and utter fiasco. Um, in fact, it opened in Boston with really poor reviews. The audience were shouting abuse and booing and hissing at the end of the production. Um, Shocking, really, because music by Julie Stein, book and lyrics by Bob Merrill, a fantastic pairing there. But it was just too dark and too challenging for audiences. And Angela Lansbury actually pledged to boycott the show if it wasn't fixed before the end of the Boston tryout. And it wasn't. So the show closed. It never actually got to Broadway. Pretty Bell. But her next role was a huge triumph. Angela Lansbury opened the West End production of Gypsy in May 1973. 
The show had actually opened back in 1959 on Broadway, uh, so it had taken a good few years before it reached the West End. And originally, Elaine Stritch was cast in this role in the West End, but ticket sales weren't good, and she was ultimately replaced by Angela Lansbury, who got standing ovations and rave reviews from the start, and uh, she won her third Tony Award because the show actually, after doing so well in the West End, went on a US tour and eventually reached Broadway where she won her third Tony and deservedly so. And again, a fantastic recording of Angela Lansbury in this production. Uh, joining her in this was the very young Bonnie Langford and uh, it's great to know that she had this opportunity and, and I've heard her talk about this with such fondness and uh, her memories of the production in Angela Lansbury. Uh, the role of Mama Rose was something that Angela Lansbury stayed with. Again, she toured again in the US later with this role and it was only in 2014 that actually Gypsy got its next revival in the West End. It's a show, I think, that's revived far more often in the United States, but it took 40 years almost before it came back to the West End, this time with Imelda Staunton as Mama Rose, and again to huge acclaim and great uh, reception and reviews. In 1978, Angela Lansbury had a short run, only 24 performances, in The King and I on Broadway with Yul Brynner. She went in as a replacement for Constance Towers. 1978, for me, was the year when the film of Death on the Nile was released. And whilst this wasn't a musical, I have to just mention... Angela Lansbury's absolutely brilliant performance as Salome Otterbourne in this film. She was just amazing. And she starred alongside Peter Ustinov, who was Hercule Poirot in this film, who is actually her brother-in-law in real life. And she was nominated for a BAFTA, along with Maggie Smith, for Best Supporting Actress in this film. And of course, she stars with the magnificent Betty Davis, as well and she did a, a more films the lady vanishes in 79 but in march of 1979 she opened on broadway originating the role of mrs nelly lovett in stephen sondheim's sweeney todd the demon barber of fleet street wow what a great performance this was with len Cario and victor garber Absolutely brilliant production directed by Hal Prince. Uh, music and lyrics by Sondheim, book by Hugh Wheeler. And Angela Lansbury performed in this show for 14 months before she was ultimately replaced by Dorothy Loudon. And yes, she got her fourth Tony Award. Throughout the 1980s and 90s, the majority of Angela Lansbury's work was in film and television. The Mirror Cracked as Miss Marple, The Pirates of Penzance, uh, the film adaptation of the Broadway production in 1983, 
And uh, of course, in 1984, when she started her role as Jessica Fletcher, the wonderful detective novelist in the TV hit series Murder, She Wrote, which actually ran for 12 years. Amazing. And uh, it was in 1991 that she voiced Mrs. Potts in the Disney animated film classic Beauty and the Beast. This was the 30th Disney animated film uh, with music by Alan Menken, lyrics by Howard Ashman, and she performed the title song as well, Beauty and the Beast, which went on to win an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Uh, and she's so well remembered for that role. It's just a beautiful performance as Mrs. Potts. She's brilliant. I loved her in Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris in 1992. And then she did the made-for-TV musical film of Mrs. Santa Claus in 1996 with Charles Durning. At 2001, she was cast in the lead role of The Visit, the Candor and Ebb musical. But unfortunately, she had to decline because her husband's health was poor at the time. And so we move into the more recent years, 2005, Nanny McPhee film, and 2009, she starred on Broadway in Blythe Spirit, that wonderful uh, Noel Coward comedy. Uh, she performed as Madame Arcati and won her fifth Tony Award, this, this time for Best Featured Actress in a Play. And uh, I was so lucky because when she came to the West End, in 2014, I saw her at the Gielgud Theatre in this role and, and she was just incredible. In 2009, Angela Lansbury starred in the Many a Chocolate Factory production of A Little Night Music on Broadway and it was the first actual Broadway revival of A Little Night Music. She starred as Madame Armfelt alongside Catherine Zeta-Jones and Alexander Hansen. And she got her seventh Tony nomination that year. I actually saw the production before it went to Broadway. It opened in, uh, well, obviously the, the Many a Chocolate Factory outside of the West End and then moved to the Garrick Theatre in the West End where I saw the production with the fabulous Hannah Waddingham as uh, Desiree Armfelt and Maureen Lippmann in the role that Angela Lansbury took to Broadway of Madame Armfelt. But also Alexander Hansen was in the production. He was the only one that went from the West End to Broadway. In December of 17, 2017, Angela Lansbury starred in the BBC miniseries Little Women as Aunt March, which was really beautiful. And then, joyously, in 2018, she had a cameo role, well, a, sort of a, a bigger than a cameo, featured role, in the Mary Poppins sequel, Mary Poppins Returns. She played the part of the Balloon Lady, and I remember seeing the film at the theatre, the cinema, and just beaming with joy when I saw her 
appear on screen. And the fact that she had her own song as well was just uh, wonderful. It was so lovely to hear her sing. And uh, with new songs in this film by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman, the fabulous uh, partnership there who brought us Hairspray in 2002 and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the West End in 2013. So, so much to say about Angela Lansbury and I feel I've had to rush through to, to touch on all that magnificent work. She had 18 Emmy nominations but didn't win any and she had three Academy Award nominations and also didn't win any. So it was wonderful in 2012 when she received an honorary Academy Award for her lifetime achievements. So Angela Lansbury, a living legend. Hurrah. So I'm going to give a quick shout out to The Last Five Years, musical by Jason Robert Brown. This premiered in Chicago in 2001 and then moved to an off-Broadway production in 2002. It starred Norbert Leo Butts and Lauren Kennedy in Chicago and Kennedy was then replaced by Cherie Renee Scott in the off-Broadway production. Um, I have never liked this show. I don't like the film from 2014 with Jeremy Jordan and Anna Kendrick. I, if I'm really honest, I find his character, Jamie, so unlikable that I have struggled with it. And I've talked uh, many times with my lovely friend May about this. And we've tried to find a good production. We saw a production in Bolton at the Octagon and that didn't work for me either. And I saw at the St. James Theatre the 2016 Off West End production with Jonathan Bailey actually and Samantha Barks. A great pairing and Jason Robert Brown came over for that production. I went on the opening preview and Jason Robert Brown came on stage before the show to just say it's not quite ready yet and we're still getting some technical things right. Um, but it didn't work for me then, even with such great um, performances. Uh, Jonathan Bailey, who's just uh, recently had success in Company in the West End with Patti Lapone, and of course has starred in Bridgerton, and Samantha Barks, who's about to open very soon in the West End uh, premiere of Frozen. But it just hasn't worked until finally I saw during lockdown a streamed version production of the Southwark Playhouse production. It's a Katie Lipson Aria Productions, Aria Entertainment production directed by Jonathan O'Boyle. And this has Molly Lynch as Kathy and Ollie Higgs Higginson as Jamie. And I have to say, this, I don't know how they did it, but I bought into this pairing. I loved the production. I loved the performance. There's some beautiful music in it. There's moments, I have to say, when I, I kind of find myself losing interest. But I was so pleased to finally find a production of the last five years that I enjoyed. So 
There you go, a quick mention, the last five years. Okay, so I'm going to talk with great reverence about my next Letter L musical, my personal favourite musical ever, my number one, and the show that I have seen more times than any other, the wonderful Les Miserables, with music by Claude Michel Schoenberg, and lyrics original French by Alan Boublil and Jean-Marc Martel, and English lyrics by Herbert Kretzmer. This is the Sung Through musical based on the 1862 novel of the same name by Victor Hugo. Oh, I love it. It has the most gorgeous music. The story is incredible. I remember my friend Helen saying to me about the book, not this before the um, stage show, how this is such an epic, incredible story unfolding in front of you. And that's so true when you watch it on stage. The first time you see it, it's just mesmerising because these characters who are incredibly developed and... Uh, their interactions and the, how the story kind of takes you through this heartbreaking journey of the lead character Jean Valjean and, and his, the loved people in his life. Les Miserables is still the longest running musical in West End history and I can't see how anything is ever going to surpass that, who knows. But it started out as a concept album in 1980. Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alan Boublil had put together this sung through show um, with gorgeous music. Pretty much the music that was in that concept album is what we still know now, but obviously sung in French. The very first ever Jean Valjean was Maurice Berrier and he performed on the concept album and also in the original Paris cast. There was a, a staged production in Paris in 1980, which ran for three months. It closed, not because it wasn't popular, but because the contract had run out for that production. And it was Cameron McIntosh who then, over time, developed and produced the English production. He was initially reluctant, but in conjunction with the RSC, they spent two years developing the production that then opened at the Barbican, which was at the time the home of the RSC in London, opening on the 8th of October, 1985. And of course, we all know that the show got poor reviews, but it was the audiences who just loved it so much that they kept going back and supporting this production. And it grew and grew in popularity and became the massive uh, success story that it is now. The 1985 West End production had Colm Wilkinson as Jean Valjean. Absolutely incredible. I would have loved to have seen him in that production, I really would. And he actually took the show to Broadway uh, in 1987. He was joined in the West End by Roger Allen as Javert, 
Patti Lapone as the original Fontaine, and of course Michael Ball as Marius, and the gorgeous Rebecca Kane as Cosette, with Francis Raphael as the original West End Eponine, and what an absolutely brilliant uh, Eponine she was. And you can hear all of these brilliant people on the original London cast recording. The first time I actually got to see the show on stage wasn't until March 1989. So it had actually been running in the West End for three and a half years by this point. Of course, I'd played the album, the original um, London cast recording, to death and knew every single note of it. But seeing it on stage is so different from just listening to it. And I've mentioned this in a previous episode when I was talking about Lindsay Haightley, but she was my very first eponine. And I was so lucky, and I know that I'm very lucky that I get to go to see things at the theatre as often as I've been able to do. But I have seen some amazing people in the different roles over the years. Some of my favourites include Jean Valjean. Uh, I loved Killian Donnelly and Jeff Layton and Peter Carey, John Owen Jones and Peter Lockyer. All absolutely fantastic uh, Jean Valjeans. Javert's. My favourite has got to be Philip Quast, who was um, who came to Manchester when the show did its first ever out of London um, tour, if you like, it came to Manchester for, I think, six months. And I went to see it in Manchester six times. The cast in that Manchester production in 1992-93 were unbelievable. We had Philip Quast as Javert, Jeff Layton as Jean Valjean, Mike Sterling as Marius... Meredith Braun, oh, the wonderful Meredith Braun, who I absolutely fell in love with as Eponine, and Rhea Jones as Fontaine. And they did have an, um, a highlights from the Les Mis Manchester Company CD release, which has five songs on it. And it's worth tracking down if you don't have it. Uh, it's so wonderful to hear Philip Quas singing stars and Eponine uh, Meredith Braun singing On My Own. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous recording. Um, other favourites have um, included Carrie Hope Fletcher as Eponine and uh, Rob Houshan as Marius, John Robbins as Marius, the gorgeous Katie Hall and Lisa Hull and Annaline Beachy, who I love, have all done cassette when I've seen the show. I've seen some amazing Fontines, including Joanna Ampill, who I love, Celine Schoenmaker, Katie Hall, Gronja Renihan, uh, and uh, Rhea Jones, and of course the fabulous Ruthie Henshaw, who I saw in the outdoor concert version at Highlands Park in Chelmsford in the UK back in 1997. This was an outdoor concert version and it was amazing with Frances Raphael reprising her role as Eponine, and she was stunning. So the show is currently closed because of the pandemic, but is scheduled to reopen at the newly refurbished and renamed Queen's Theatre, which is now the Sondheim Theatre in the West End. 
and hopefully will reopen on the 25th of September 2021. I cannot wait to see the show again. In the meantime, I'm going to go away and listen to it. Les Miserables. My final musical today, beginning with the letter L, is the absolutely brilliant and groundbreaking La Cage au Folle, which opened on Broadway on the 21st of August 1983. Now, this was during the early years of the AIDS pandemic and uh, gay representation was not uh, happening on Broadway, really. And this was the first hit musical that centred on a gay relationship. Jerry Herman, who had suffered a few poorly received productions in recent years, including Dear Mame and Pretty Bell and Mac and Mabel, really didn't want the show to be too political. And so he worked hard to make sure that the rest of the creative team kept this show more about the human side, the humanity and the relationships, rather than it being a, a gay activist story. And it worked. Musical lyrics by the wonderful Jerry Herman with a book by Harvey Feierstein. Fantastic. Based on the 1973 French play of the same name. La Cage Folle ran for 1,761 performances over four years on Broadway at a time when the perception of, of homosexuality was very poor and very negative. The show did brilliantly well. It had nine Tony Award nominations and won six of them, including Best Musical and Best Original Score for Jerry Herman. And the cast included the fabulous George Hearn as Alban and Jean Barry as Georges. And in fact, George Hearn took the show to the West End when the production opened there in May 1986, with Hearn reprising the role of Alban and Dennis Quilly performing as Georges. This is a fabulous show and has some amazing music in it and there have been lots of revivals. Definitely a highlight of Jerry Herman's career. So who have we missed beginning with the letter L? The wonderful Robert Lopez, co-creator of the Book of Mormon and Avenue Q, who we'll be meeting later in the alphabet. Performer Nathan Lane and Bonnie Langford, Peggy Lee. Fantastic creators and uh, composers Jonathan Larson and Frank Lesser. And shows like Legally Blonde, the 2007 musical adaptation of the famous Legally Blonde 2001 film. And Little Women, the musical adaptation starring Sutton Foster with music by Jason Howland and lyrics by Mindy Dickstein. And we've not talked about Lady Be Good, George Gershwin's first great musical comedy, or Adam Gettle's The Light in the Piazza. So many as always. That's all we have time for today. I hope you've enjoyed the Letter L podcast. And if you have, please leave me uh, a positive review wherever you listen to this podcast. Until next time, have a Doris day. <laughs>